Mike Isaacs wanting to join me, but you're going to stay down there, mate. <laughs> okay, so we've had a few weeks break from our series on the kingdom, but uh, I've got another message of that series this morning. A few weeks back, Mark Stoneham gave us a message about the now and the not yet kingdom. It's a kingdom which has started but isn't here in its fullness. Only in the future will God's kingdom become a full reality. Meanwhile, we have to face problems to, for, to work through, holding on to a hope of something that's going to come in the future, which hasn't fully appeared. Last time we had a message on the kingdom, it was uh, Mark Visser, and he was encouraging us to pray expectantly, trusting God, which is right. But let's be honest, sometimes you pray for something, you wait expectantly, and you don't get what you're expecting. Life can be a pile of poo sometimes, if you're honest. I've had a, a, a pretty trying week. Um, a friend of ours who's 35 died of lung cancer, uh, lung, uh, liver cancer this week. We prayed for her and she didn't even have a chance to get uh, any treatment, any chemotherapy or anything like that. The cancer got hold of her too quickly. About four, three, four months ago she was well and now she's with the Lord in heaven. It's baffling, it's confusing. Sometimes uh, you get what you deserve. You know, if you, if you smoke loads and loads of cigarettes, you get lung cancer. That's probably your own fault. Or sometimes if, you can, if you're speaking negatively about yourself all the time, you get miserable. That's not rocket science. But there are other times when you're faithful and you still get trouble. Job in the Old Testament, uh, my, my connect group's going through Job. He had three friends who tried to convince him that he'd done something wrong and that's why he's been punished. But that wasn't what it was. His suffering was not his own fault. If you read 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10, you'll find how Paul was blessed with a special glimpse into heaven. He couldn't describe what he'd seen. But to stop him getting boastful, God allowed him to be given something that was called a thorn in the flesh. There's a lot of speculation about what his problem was, and some people have suggested that he could have always had trouble with his eyesight. If you read the New Testament letters, you'll find in the background that he's not writing these letters down, he's getting other people to write them. And if you read the end of Galatians, you'll say, he says in Galatians 6, that I'm writing this, about, this bit down in my own large letters. Did he have to write so large because he had an eyesight problem? We don't know, you can only speculate. But what we do know is that he had a problem which caused him pain and he pleaded with God several times to take the pain away. But God said to him, my gracious favour is all that you need. My power works best in your weakness. Paul had to accept a life with a constant painful reminder that he needed to rely on God. 
This next photo, some of you will have seen before. It's a picture of me when I had an encounter with a glass door. I bounced off a glass door which didn't have, well, I ran into a glass door which didn't have the safety markings on it. You can see my facial injuries there. I've got 16 stitches around my brow there and a whole load of other injuries all over my body because I didn't just hit the door, I hit the concrete floor when I bounced off the door. You can probably, it doesn't take you much to imagine that I was in a lot of pain when that photo was taken. But most of our pain cannot be seen. But we all face problems. Some pain we face together, like this cost of living crisis. We're all having to work out issues, some more than others. Life isn't fair. There are other issues like our health problems we often face alone. Life is very often tough. And it's easy to think that God has abandoned us or that he doesn't care, that God's punishing us. The Psalms are usually written by somebody who's crying out to God for help and they usually end in praise as they trust God that things are going to work out. But there are a couple of Psalms that contain no hope at all. One of them is Psalm 88, and I'm going to read that to you now. This is a Psalm written by a guy who feels that God has abandoned him. He feels sorry for himself, exaggerates, and he's even sarcastic. Listen to what he says. O God, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day, and I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles, and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They've left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. You've thrown me into the lowest pit and into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. Wave after wave, you've engulfed me. You've driven my friends away, making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day, I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds any use to the dead? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O oh Lord, I cry out to you. I'll keep on pleading day by day. O oh Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralysed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They've engulfed me completely. You've taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. This is a guy who's lost hope. 
he feels abandoned and is feeling very sorry for himself. He ends with that phrase, you know, my closest friend is darkness. And can you hear the sarcasm when he's saying things like, are your wonderful deeds any use to the dead? Do the rise raise up and praise you? But what is this doing in the Bible? It's there because it's a prayer. It's a very honest prayer. Life is not easy. God wants us to voice our fears and our frustrations to him. I don't know about you, but quite a lot of my prayers aren't answered. They aren't answered how I want them to be. Things like my friend dying this week. We prayed for her healing and now she's with the Lord. It's very frustrating when you pray specifically for something and it doesn't happen. But can I encourage you not to give up, not give up praying, even when you don't get the answers you want. Keep praying. Tell God just how you're feeling. Be honest with him like the psalmist was. Look at the psalms. You'll find every sort of emotion there. God is big enough to listen to your frustration and your anger. He understands you, so tell him, be honest with him. We need several encounters with God every day for our faith to survive. And especially when God seems distant, carry on seeking him and praying through your days and eventually you will win through. I've listened to an interview with Tim Keller this week. He's someone else who's just died of pancreatic cancer. And he talks about how his faith has grown in the last couple of years while he's battling cancer. His prayer life improved as he realised how fragile his own life was. Let's read another psalm. This is Psalm 91. It's a more positive psalm. And this one is often quoted to give us hope of God's protection. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God and I trust in him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He'll cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armour and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up in their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You'll trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says... I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call to me, I will answer. 
I'll be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honour them. I will reward them with long life and give them my salvation. So this psalm promises God's protection. So why is it that we get sick? Why is it that friends like Laura die young? Why does God seem so quiet when problems are around? Do you realise that Satan quoted this psalm to Jesus when he was when there was the temptation? Satan said to, to Jesus, so you won't even uh, hurt your foot on a stone. What he was trying to do was to tempt Jesus to take the easy route, life without a cross. We'd all like an easy life. And Satan was tempting Jesus to take the easy route. Satan wants you to understand this psalm to saying that he will always protect you, always keep trouble away. But that is only a half-truth. Once you believe that psalms like this are saying that God's going to always protect you, then when you get trouble, Satan will say, ah, God doesn't care. God's too weak to look after you. Why bother? So what is it that Bible passages like Psalm 91 really mean? Will God protect us? Will he keep us safe or won't he? You'll have heard me quote Romans 8, 28 and 29. You have to read them together. So I'm going to read them again to you. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and accord according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that the son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what I've said before and what I'm saying now is that these verses really say that God allows and uses things that are in themselves bad to build our faith and to make us more Christ-like. We can't come to God expecting him to be our fairy godmother who gives us our every whim and desire. God is not transactional. He, don't, he won't bless you just because you're faithful. He does bless the faithful, but you can't rely on it. God is God. He's the one that chooses. God does promise to be with us in our problems, giving us strength and hope. Listen to what Jesus promised his disciples. This is Luke 21, 16 to 19. Even those closest to you, your parents, your brothers, your relatives and friends will betray you. They'll even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. Jesus seems to contradict himself here. In one breath he's saying that some of them are going to get killed and then the next sentence he says, not a hair of your head's going to perish. God's meaning of safe isn't what we understand. It's not what we'd imagine. Jesus looks beyond this fragile life to an, on earth to eternity. Their bodies and minds would be attacked along the way but nothing can separate you from God's love and his presence. Our soul is the most important part of us. And it's our soul 
that through patient endurance, through difficulties in this, work, in this earth, will continue in, into eternity for life with God. We get a new body. Joseph, the one in the Old Testament who had a special coat and 11 brothers, held on to his faith through many problems. He understood that his brothers had intended harm to him, but he held on to a faith that God would redeem these situations. God humbled that arrogant teenager and he transformed a dysfunctional family and he trained and arranged Joseph to be in the right place at the right time for the good of the family and the whole region, the Egyptians and the Jewish nation. Joseph said to his brothers, you intended harm to me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. While we're here on earth, if you make anything more important to you than God, it will become your idol. It could be your career. It could even be your child. If there's anything more important to you than God, then you are not safe. If something has become more important in your life, in other words, an idol, then if it's snatched from your hands, your life will fall apart and your life will lose meaning. Mark and Jill encouraged me to hold things lightly with open hands. I found out recently they're quoting Corrie Ten Boon. Um, and I'm sure Corrie picked it up from somewhere else. It's much more painful when things are pulled out of grasping hands. We, hold, have, we have to hold everything lightly because everything in this world is temporary. You can't keep it. One day you will be parted from everything you see. Look around now. Everything that you can see at this moment is temporary. It will be gone one day, so don't try and hang on to it. I'm still trying to learn this, and I expect you are too. I spoke recently about making God's kingdom the most important thing on, in your life. Seeking God's kingdom first. Not what you have or what you don't have. Not what will become of you not having power or having man's approval. These must all be secondary in your relationship to God and your service for God. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything that you need. I want to give you some tips, things that I've learned in the recent years during times when I've doubted that God was even there, that he cared about me. I'll share some of the things that have helped me to cope with the problems of life. Ways that have helped me nurture and sustain my faith. I think that you'll probably know by now that I've had mental health issues. Life hasn't been good. Life wore me down and I got discouraged. One practice that has helped me to cope is a way of stopping the overthinking which predominates people that have got mental health issues. Your mind goes over and over and over the same old problem as you try and work it out. 
you panic that the worst will happen. It's very hard just to keep these thoughts, to cut these thoughts short, even if they're unreasonable and exaggerated. Concentrating on the unknown only increases your anxiety. Most anxious thoughts never actually come to pass. Sue encouraged me to read a book by Oral Roberts. In it, he explained something, a way that helped him cut his anxious thoughts short. What he did was to pray in tongues about the issue. It stops, it cuts off your mind and it exercises your soul because you're praying in your soul to the Lord. But then he would stop and he'd pray in English for a short while before going back to praying in tongues. I'd known this teaching for quite a long time. When Sue was a new driver, so quite a few years ago, she uh, was sitting at a junction waiting and this huge lorry turned the corner and smashed into the front of her car and then drove off. Now this gave her a fear of lorries and it was a particular problem when we were on the motorway because she wouldn't want to overtake lorries and uh, she was scared that the lorry might pull out as she's overtaking. They do try and do that sometimes. But anyway, she conquered her fear by praying in tongues as she got near the lorry. And she's virtually free of that problem now. But if she does get the problem, she prays in tongues and it cuts the thoughts short. Another thing that I've learnt, and I've told you several times, which Adrian, my friend, told me, is to stop asking God, why is this happening? And to start asking him, what do you want me to learn from this, God? It's a far healthier, positive way forward. If God allows pain to come our way, it's in order to refine us. So the sooner you find out what he's trying to teach you, the better. I want to quote to you part of another psalm. There's a phrase that appears several times through Psalms 42 and 43. Listen to this. It, it's, this, this psalm is partly a prayer and it's partly self-dialogue. The guy talks to himself. So listen to it as I read it. It says, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be as I walked along with the crowds of worshippers leading a great procession to the house of God singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. And this is the phrase that's repeated. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. This is a biblical practice that you'll find in several psalms. It's talking to yourself rather than listening to yourself. It's self-dialogue. The psalmist was honest. He isn't stuffing his feelings. We mustn't do that. They do matter. But he also acknowledges that life is making him sad. But instead of listening to himself and his fears and panicking, he then speaks directly to his soul and he reminds himself that God is in control. God is still God. The psalmist reorders his hopes and he reminds himself that God can be trusted to sort out anything for his good. Hope starts with the decision not to focus on your anxious thoughts, 
but to focus instead on the fact that God is with us and promised never to leave us. When life is hard, especially if you're depressed, then you'll be tempted to withdraw and isolate. Can I encourage you, please don't suffer alone. God is Trinity. He's a communal being. Love needs someone else to love. Everything in creation was called good until Adam was on his own. He needed Eve to be complete. Humans, designed in God's image, are designed for company. So even if you're an introvert like me and you recharge your batteries on your own, you'll need encouragement and counsel from other Christians. Trying to be a, Christ, a lone Christian will not work, so don't try it. COVID separated us and isolated us. We've got to rebuild our friendships. God expects us to share his love with other people too. And we need other people. We need company for that. Satan loves to isolate and then discourage lone Christians. So watch out. Please find company. When you're in pain, you often don't feel like being with others. But that is what God expects us to do. And also, don't just look after your own self-interest. Look out for others. Giving your time and your energy for others is actually healthy for you. It gets your mind off your own problems as you appreciate how life is hard for others too. And we must fill our hearts with Bible truth too. As I said earlier, you need several encounters with God every day to live life well. You have to listen carefully for God to speak to you. So, and can I encourage you to start a spiritual journal if you don't want, have one already? This is my one. Uh, a few years ago, I had a spiritual renewal experience. And my friend Adrian again, he told me, you must write down this stuff that God is giving you because there's going to be a time when God is not as real to you as he is at the moment. And then, when you're in those times, you've got ammunition to throw back at Satan. I've got lots and lots of things written down here that I can remind Satan of and remind myself of, of how, God, how real God is. So when life is hard, when God seems quiet and distant, don't give in and don't isolate. God will never abandon you. Because the Father abandoned the Son on the cross, God will never abandon you. He'll always be there to help you through. Remember that and trust him. So if I go through the main points that I've been saying this morning, keep praying, even if you think that God isn't there. He is, and he understands. You'll need several encounters with God every day for your faith to survive. Not all trouble is your fault, but you must trust God to turn it around for your good. Hold on to things lightly and don't make idols of people or things because they are all temporary. If you're overthinking problems, then try praying in tongues to break the habit. But do pray in English too, so that your mind doesn't get bored. 
And then the what God prayer is much more important than the why God prayer. Try to let God teach you to trust him. Speak to yourself rather than listening to your fears. Remind yourself that God is still God. Never isolate. God designed us for supportive love, friendship and encouragement. And lastly, memorise Bible verses so that you've got them handy for hard times. Start a spiritual journal like I have. I don't have one overriding experience which proves that God is there without doubt. What I do have is an accumulation of evidence which explains life. It gives my life meaning and joy. My faith grows stronger as I work through the problems that life throws at me. I'll end with a second photo of me with my beaten up face. This happier photo of me was taken for my mum because she wanted to see what my facial injuries were like. It was 80 miles between us and it was during, no, it was before COVID. Forget about that. <laughs> anyway, joy is something which is not dependent on circumstances. Joy comes from abiding in the Lord. When you share God's love with those around you, when your life is hard, it can also be full of joy. You can have heaven on earth. Don't wait to, for eternity to experience God's kingdom. It's there for you now if you want it. I'll end with a couple of verses. This is Hebrews 11 verse 1. What is faith? It's the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things that we cannot yet see. And then 1 Corinthians 13 7 says... Love never fails, it never loses faith, it's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. So, I've got a few questions. I've written down two for you, but if you really run out of time and you have prayed for each other, then you can do the usual one of what stood out for you most. But these are the two questions I've got for you. Do you tell God your fears, your worries and complaints? But are you scared to be honest with him? And do you think that your relationship with God is transactional? That you're in the relationship for what you get out of it? Or are you prepared to trust him even when your prayers aren't answered the way that you want? But the most important thing is please make time to pray for each other.